Merry-Go-Round Storytelling presents Test Valley Tales with Amanda Kane-Smith. Hello, I'm Amanda. Welcome to the Test Valley Tales podcast. This podcast features the stories from my illustrated book called Test Valley Tales. Each week, I'll be telling a traditional story based in a real location in the beautiful borough of Tess Valley, which, if you're not from round here, is in Hampshire, in England, in the UK. All the stories are different, but they are all magical in one way or another. So whether you're curious about strange-looking dragons or magical wish-giving fish, enchanted trees or even spooky ghost legends, I'm sure there'll be a tale here for everyone. And if you're listening locally, I hope you may want to go out and explore the place the story is set and maybe see if you can find some of the things I refer to there. I can't promise you'll meet any of the magical creatures, but if you do come across any, please say hello from me. Well, I think it's time to get on with this week's tale. So, make yourselves comfortable, and I will set the scene. This tale is a wish-giving tale, and it's called The Magical Fish of Mottisfont. Test Way is a long-distance walk that follows the River Test from the chalk downs of Inkpen to the river's end at Elling. Here, it merges with the River Itchin to become Southampton Water, and together, the two chalk streams flow out to sea to begin a new journey. The Test Way is 44 miles long. Now, that is a long walk. Luckily for us, someone thoughtful has divided it into eight shorter walks that can be easily done in a day. I have walked the stretch that takes you from Stockbridge along the old Spratton-Winkle railway line and crosses the fields to Mottisfont. As you arrive at Mottisfont, there is a wide open field where the sheep lazily graze. At the other side of the field, there is a little wooden bridge. This will take you into Oakley Lane and signals your walk is almost at an end. The last time I was there, an old farm trailer with the word Fraser written along its side was slowly being reclaimed by the brambles in the lane. It was as if nature wasn't quite ready to accept our intrusion. I wonder if it's still there. Oakley Lane curves to the left and then the right, where it crosses the River Test. Here, the river is wide and fast-flowing as it whirls under the bridge, its bank bound together with the roots of the tree that bows towards it. And if you stop and close your eyes to listen to the songs of the warblers and lapwings and the tinkling noise of the river as it swirls and splashes its way forwards, it is not hard to imagine that this is a place where magic could happen. Thank you.
As Mary walked along, she noticed her shadow to her side on the sunlit lane and was so alarmed by what she saw, she set the two heavy cotton bags she was holding onto the ground straight away. I'm so hunched over, I look like an old woman, she thought. That will never do. She arched her back and stretched her arms up and breathed in so her lungs filled with the fresh midday air. Then, breathing out, she let her arms float back down, and as she did, she glanced to the side. There was her shadow again. But this time, rather than looking like an old woman, she was straight and tall, and her falling arms looked like wings. That made her smile. That's more like it, she thought. She'd often dreamed of how wonderful it would be to be able to fly. Still smiling, she picked up her bags and carried on walking. And though her bags were still heavy, she made sure to stand straight as she continued home. Mary made this journey once a week, following the railway tracks of the Spratt and Winkle line, all the way from her home in Mottisfont to Stockbridge to buy provisions. The trip there and back took the whole morning, and by the time she reached Oakley Lane in Mottisfont, she was always tired. But she didn't mind one bit. She enjoyed walking in the countryside, and caring for others came easily to her. When she was six years old, her father had died, and soon after, her mother had lost her sight. From that moment on, she'd become her mother's eyes, helping her as much as she could when she was needed. As Mary grew up, she helped her mother learn to look at the world in a different way, by touch and smell. Together they would explore their garden, guessing the flowers' names by stroking the flower heads or rubbing the petals gently between their fingers to release their sweet scent. Mary often liked to close her eyes and feel her way around the garden, carefully moving her hands from one place to the next. It was frightening at first. What if she touched a slug or some other nasty thing by accident? But soon she began to trust her hands and enjoyed the surprise of what might come next. When Mary left school, she stayed to care for her mother. She fell in love and married a local man who worked on the estate in the summer. Jobs were more difficult to find in the winter, and so there was frequently no money to buy food, but she loved her husband and they made do. There was one thing, however, that kept her awake at night. That was, although she and her husband had been married for ten years, they'd still not had a baby, and that was the one thing they both longed for. You would think all this heartache would make Mary resentful and jealous. But this was not the case at all. She was grateful for her home, her husband, and all the people she had around her, always looking at the world in a positive way. And that's exactly what she was doing that same morning as she straightened her back and was heading home. She was still smiling to herself when she noticed something on the lane ahead, where the bridge crossed over the river. At first, she thought it was a small branch, but then she saw it move. She wondered what it could be. So, slowing her walk down, she began to creep forward so as not to disturb whatever it was. 
when she got closer. She was surprised to see it was, in fact, a fish. A trout! But how had it managed to throw itself out of the water like this? There was no one else on the lane. She looked at the river by the bridge. It was wide and fast-flowing. Perhaps the trout had been thrown out by the current. The trout was huge. She had never seen one close up like this, and she was struck by how golden its body was, like treasure. Its back was covered in black spots edged with white. Its round eyes darted backwards and forwards, and its mouth was gulping at the air, struggling to breathe. Staring at the fish, she thought what a prize it would be to take home to her husband and her mother and how many feasts they'd be able to make from this one fish. They were rarely able to afford to eat anything as luxurious as trout. But then she thought about how she would have to kill the fish to do that. Killing was something she could never do. Instinctively, she ran to the water's edge to wet her hands, then ran back and gently slid them under the trout's head and tail, cradling it like a baby. At first, the trout wriggled around so much she was worried she might drop it, so she closed her eyes like she did when she explored the garden at home and stayed still. The trout felt cold and powerful in her hands as it flicked its strong tail up and down. But soon, her calmness put the trout at ease and it stopped wriggling, letting her gently carry it back to the water, where she let it go. There you go, Mr Trout. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, she said as it slipped out of her hands and under the water. The words had only just left her mouth when the trout popped its head back out of the water and said, Thank you, madam. I certainly will. Well, that was unexpected. Mary was so stunned, she fell back and sat there on the muddy bank with her eyes wide open looking at the fish, who was now smiling at her. He had tiny white teeth like toothpicks pointing out of his gums. I'm sorry to startle you, madam. I only wanted to thank you for your kindness. But you spoke, said Mary. Yes, madam, agreed the fish. Ridiculous, eh? I must admit, us fish don't usually talk to humans. In fact, we try to stay away from them. I see, said Mary uncertainly. She stood up brushed the leaves and dirt from her skirt and hands and crouched back down on the riverbank, curious to learn more about this new world which she had no idea could exist. Talking fish? Was that really a thing? It's very nice to speak to you, Mr Trout. I'm glad I was able to help. I can tell that you are, said the fish. I sense you care very much for other living things, and for that... I would like to grant you one wish. A wish, whispered Mary. Just one, mind you, and please take your time. I have given wishes before. Wishes that have been wasted because they've not been thought about. I would like you to make the best of yours. 
Mary crouched in silence, looking at the trout in front of her. She was transfixed by it, and now it had offered her a wish. Made up your mind, madam? asked the fish. No, said Mary. I haven't even thought about the wish yet. Well, take your time. No rush, as they say. Mary looked over the trout's head and gazed at the river so she could think. I should wish for my mother to be able to see again, she thought. That would be such a gift for her. But then, I have so longed for a child these last ten years. How happy that would make my husband and me. It would bring joy to my mother as well. But do not people normally wish for riches and gold in times like this? It would be wonderful not to have to worry about where the next meal is coming from. And I could maybe get someone to help me around the house and maybe... Well, if I was not tired all the time, just maybe... Oh, I don't know. Just one wish, he says. But which would be the best? Mary closed her eyes to think more clearly. She'd learnt to do this over the years when big decisions had to be made. Closing her eyes made her feel calm and relaxed. She breathed in the fresh air and listened to the birdsong and the jingling noise of the river as it tinkled and tumbled its way under the bridge. Suddenly, she knew what her wish should be. She opened her eyes and said, I wish my mother could see me rocking my baby in a cradle of gold. One year later, Mary, her husband and her mother were getting ready to go for a walk. It took a little longer to get ready to leave the house nowadays due to the baby. Mary leaned into the wooden cradle and picked up her daughter. She had sold the golden cradle months before and had been able to buy all the things they needed for the new baby, including this lovely wooden cradle. The rest of the money she'd put away for their future. When they were all dressed in coats and scarves and ready to leave, Mary settled her baby into the pram, gently snuggling her in with the beautiful lamb's wool blanket her mother had knitted for her. She looked down at her child, whom she adored, and she could hardly believe how lucky she was. Then they set off along the road and walked through the village, past the abbey and turned into Oakley Lane. The sun had come out by the time they reached the bridge and the light dappled on the water, making it shimmer as it flowed along. Mary's husband lifted his daughter out of the pram and held her tight. She was the most precious thing and he felt the luckiest man on earth as he stood with his wife on that bridge. Mary's mother leaned on the rail and looked at the river below. She still marvelled at its beauty and the mysteries it held beneath its surface. She had missed looking at the river more than most other things when she had lost her sight, and now, even a year on since her sight had miraculously returned, she still wondered at the beauty of the natural world. As she peered into the water, a trout swam by, and for a moment the trout stopped and seemed to look back at her. And if the mother had not known better, 
she would have been sure the trout had winked at her. Wow, what a clever wish. What would you wish for? The Magical Fish of Mottisfont is my version of a traditional tale you may have heard of before. Sometimes the wish giver is a deer, and in some versions it can even be a unicorn. I thought here in Test Valley, with our beautiful chalk rivers and streams, the wish giver should be a trout. I was also keen to find a story location along the Testway Walk, so this seemed perfect. I like the idea that you could come across this spot as you walk along and maybe make your own wish. The last time I visited it, I met up with some very special people to do an interview. Their names are Owen and Rosa. Owen is 12 and Rosa is 10 at the time of the recording. I have been keen for one of the Test Valley Tales interviews to be from a child's perspective on the story and how it relates to the landscape, and Owen and Rosa were just amazing. In fact, I was so impressed with their knowledge and enthusiasm for the natural world that this interview is a little longer than usual, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And I think this interview really illustrates the idea behind Test Valley Tales, and that is to encourage people to get out and explore where we live and rediscover its magical places through its stories. As David Attenborough says, No one will protect what they don't care about, and no one will care about what they have never experienced. So I'm here in Mottisfont and I've just walked across the field and I'm just walking over the bridge that takes you into Oakley Lane and in front of me I'm hoping, yes, it's still here, um, the farm truck with Fraser on the side of it, although it's very, very much covered in brambles at the moment, but it is still hiding behind there. And standing in front of Fraser truck is Owen and Rosa. Hello, good Hello. morning. Hello. Who've agreed to be interviewed today and they're here with their dad, Steve. Um, thanks guys for meeting me. I'm really excited to hear what your thoughts are about the story. I loved it. It's, it's probably one of my favourites. It's just, it's so magical, but then it, it has things, again, like the truth behind it really is to do with like nature and it's just such a lovely story and how she thought about it um yeah i really enjoyed it did you like the fact that it's set somewhere where you live that you could yeah, come and visit um, it i did like that um yeah yeah i really liked it i think the idea the way she incorporated all three of her wishes into one was really clever and i quite like the the talking fish yeah <laughs> it's all like described that. and everything yeah you can really get a picture and in your head again the, the fact that you can easily just go, go down. and visit it and you can actually picture it's one of those stories you can just go down and you can picture it in your head so you know exactly um what's happening sometimes it's easier to actually be in the place yeah um, 
Um, it's nice so to be able to see the tree it, yeah. and the bridge and, mm. and the water, so you could imagine something oh. like this magical could happen yeah. to you. So have you been here before to this part of test of the test way, either of you? So, Not to this exact part, but we have been along the Spratt and Winkle line. Oh. Cycling along there, uh, which is quite fun. Um, but not to this exact part. So what we're going to do now is we're going to wander up the road towards the place where the story takes place. So, and we'll just have a little bit of chat as we walk. We've just walked along the road, or the, it's a lane, isn't it? Not a road, really. It's quite scrunchy. And we're just coming up to the river. So from here, this is the point where Mary would have seen the fish, I think, flopping up there. And so we're walking up now to the spot past the river and you can see it's quite a fast flowing river isn't it mm -hmm. right so as we're walking now here can you see there now in the story mary um sits down and she puts the fish back in so shall we just sit down here out of the wind and see if we can have a little bit of a chat have either of you ever held a fish before like mary um, does in the story we've not held a fish like um, taking it out of the water and properly held it but um, there is a place where we sometimes go and they've got a big pond full of carp um, and if you just pop your fingers in um, the carp they'll come along and you can just tickle their back and it's Aww. it's smooth and like slippery but not very slimy like lots of people would think and they do sometimes just put their mouths around your fingers and try and suck your fingers and it feels all <laughs> squidgy it's a bit of a weird feeling sometimes you can kind of feel their tiny teeth poking out of their gums as it as they chew your fingers yeah they? i read it's that kind of satisfying in a way. <laughs> when i read but the fact that they've got these tiny little teeth. I thought they were a little bit like toothpicks, little tiny pointed yeah. toothpicks yes. sticking out. Did you know, when I was looking into all of this, did you know you're supposed to wet your hands before you touch a fish? Yeah, I well, think... kind of had a vague idea. Yeah, because yeah. When, you, when you do hold any animal that lives in water, you do kind of think, oh, um, they should always be wet, not dry. So I think I would, if I did find a fish, I would probably go and wet my hands. I think it's because their scales can come off, isn't it, in your hands, yeah. and that can damage them. Mm -hmm. And also you've got to be very, very gentle, sort of firm, firm but gentle, so you don't hurt yeah. them. Yes. So we're now sitting on the bank, and... Good morning. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, and Mary would have gone down there, and she would put the fish in back into the water. Did, I'm just wondering what you think about this little place. Would you come here and sit? Do you think it's a nice place? It's, it's quite co peaceful, quiet, and I can kind of imagine Mary putting the fish back in and then it just like poking its head out and talking to her. <laughs> you can kind of imagine it happening. I think it is a really nice place. It's nice and quiet. It's got lovely little houses and it is you can imagine it's a place where there would be magic. Oh, yeah, because if you were going for a walk um, from Stockbridge, if you're walking across and then maybe heading towards Mottisfont for a cake, <laughs> this would be one of the places you'd come across. I think it'd be quite nice. Also, think it'd probably be a good place to play um, poo sticks, yeah. maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, 
to, you'd have to pick a smaller stick so it wouldn't get tangled in all the weeds. Yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's quite fast, fast flowing. It is know. fast flowing. There's isn't lots it? of reeds that grow, so yeah. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit about chalk streams. I know you know a little bit about chalk streams. Did you know that our chalk streams are quite unique here, and there's only about two hundred in the world? I didn't know that, but I know that they're quite different compared to other rivers and streams across yeah. the UK. I've heard that they're not, um, well, I want to say common, they're not like very common at all, but um, I didn't know that there were only 200. Yeah, and we've got 80% 80, 80 of the world's chalk streams are like here in England. And the other cool thing about them, which I think makes them really magical, is um, underneath all that gravel, did you know that, did you, have you heard of the word aquifer, aquifers? Have you heard about the aquifers? Um, not really. No. So underneath there are these, they're things called aquifers and they're like huge giant sponges. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the water, the spring water filters up through these big aquifers or sponges. And that's why it's called, it's so crystal clear because it's, it's, it's spring water and that's why it's so special. I think we did something like that in geography. Right? Yeah, you probably have done it in geography. So I'm just going to go and put this down here so we can hear the twinkling of the... That's quite a cool sound, isn't it? Yeah. Going under the bridge. It's kind of plopping and rushing onto the bridge and out the other side. It was ever so windy outside, so we've come inside into um, a little sheltered barn um, and um, your dad's sitting at the other end yeah. over there. Should we just wave at him? Yeah. Hello, Steve. You're right. So I'm going to ask you some questions again. So first of all, I, um, I think you were telling me earlier that you've actually been in the river and because your family are quite knowledgeable yeah. about this kind of stuff, can um, you tell me a little bit about your investigations in the chalk so streams? when um, in the Millennium Green in Whitchurch there's a little chalk stream flowing and sometimes we bring our nets and like a tray um, down and you just, you get your wellies and you just go into the river um, and what you do is if you put the net um, where the current's flowing into it and then you just kick up the stones and it will get the water will go quite murky and then if you put what you've got in your net into your tray you can see you might get some shrimps caddisfly larvae or um all sorts of little animals and then um you can like investigate them and um see if the water's clean or not yeah, i think it was mayfly larvae that if there are mayfly yeah. larvae that water's clean um, it's a good habitat, I think. So is yeah, this something families could just do themselves? I mean, yeah, you know how you to do it. Yeah, you need a kind of shallow yeah, stream, not need. a fast flowing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it has. It can be gentle flowing. It only has to be little. Is it all quite easy to find? I've always, every time I've done it, I've found caddisfly larvae. I've found shrimps. I've what, found. What are caddis? Can you tell me what what are caddisfly well, larvae? Well, they're the uh, younger versions of the caddis fly. Yeah. And sometimes you can find their, their can so they bathe their, the lava and then they 
kind of pick up loads of little tiny, tiny little grains and they make kind of this cast around and it's kind of like a shell around it of yeah. little tiny gravel. The, the caddis fly, well, it's a fly, yeah. but um, they're larvae. They're almost like, I want to say worms, but they have got like legs unlike worms oh. and they have tiny little grains that they just build in like a protective cast around them so you'll think it's just a few rocks just lying oh. but occasionally when um you might see a little black head pop out and it, it'll just start moving along <laughs> and you get quite because once i i remember i had this little lump of rocks and i was like should we just should we just pop these back in the river and then it started moving so yeah you do find oh, that's them so... they hardly hardly ever no, but you and do see them a couple of times, yeah. They're very cool. Oh, wow. I didn't... Yeah, I, that's amazing. Gosh, you two are, are great. Mm. I think we should... Yeah, we all need to come and visit you, I think, and come <laughs> on some of your family adventures. They all sound brilliant. So when you've been looking at, um, in the rivers, have you ever seen any fish? Do you ever see any fish in there? Well, there's or? lots of trout the, yeah. in the test, loads um, of trout. And they, you can usually find them with grayling, and they have, they're essentially a trout, but with this larger uh, dorsal fin down their back, and it's uh, it's kind of an orangey. It's yeah. More, uh, so there's the grayling, and they kind of have a bit of an orangey belly. Yeah. And a more orange and larger uh, kind of fin down their back. So they haven't got spots, because the, the, the brown trout are kind of golden with spots, yeah. aren't they? Um, we yeah. also did once see a rainbow trout oh, did you? in the river. They are so beautiful. They're like, um, it, it was like a... Fish farm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's got... What colour was it? It was like bluey. It's kind of blue. Um, it's got all pinks, sorts of different yellow. colours on it, and they're so beautiful. And once when I was in the chalk room down in the Millennium Meadow, I... I can't remember the name of the fish, but I was just like, oh, it's just a rock. And I was going to pick up the rock because we were making a little dam in the river. Um, and then the rock moved, and I don't know how to describe it. It was only a couple of centimetres long, not like yeah. a trout or anything. Um, was it what? what? Bullhead. A bullhead. Bullhead. <laughs> I forgot what it was called, but... Um, they're so beautiful. I just, it's the only time I've ever found one, I just found a little bullhead just sat there. Wow. And it was so, I just, I was so surprised. Just in the shallows when yeah, you were... just in the chalk stream, just in the shallows, where you can just walk in with your wellies on. Yeah. Not too deep at all, just camouflage. in amongst the rocks, cam camouflaged. It was like, I don't know, yeah, that, that big. Um, so, so really quite like, little. Yeah, only little. And it camouflaged, honestly, it looked just like a rock. Really? Um, it, it was perfectly camouflaged and I just I just moved the rock next to it and it just shot off down the river and then I found it again and I got a proper look at it and um, it's quite um, it's it's a, again not too big only a couple of centimeters wide it's a dark brown all along its head it does fade a bit when you get to like its fins but it was so pretty it's such a shock wow. <laughs> I didn't think um, I'd ever find one like uh, that you can also find it around the Millennium Meadows there's, um, uh, when it comes to the right time, there's loads of tadpoles because there are ponds and you can find the um, uh, little eggs with the tadpoles in. Frogs yeah. Uh, frog, the frog spawn. Um, and um, 
we sometimes take them home, yeah. put them in a tank, fill it with water, and then we feed it. Uh, when the tadpoles hatch, we feed them dog meat. Or, or salmon. <laughs> or salmon. salmon. They yeah. do quite like little bits of fish fingers as well. Um, and we feed them that. And then that we sometimes have little froglets, and then we release them. And we compare them with the ones in... Uh, around the Millennium Meadow, and they're growing so much quicker because it's much warmer. Wow! And, um, once the froglets, we they've been growing, but they um, they jumped. They in the jumped. Bath. Yeah, they jumped in our bathtub, <laughs> and I, I went. I just went into the bathroom one day to have a look at the tadpoles, <laughs> and there's this tiny little froglet um, sat in, in just sat in the bathtub, oh. just just sat, just enjoying. Its, you probably thought, cool, this is a palace, this is amazing. And I was just, how did the froglet jump out? And then I realised there were actually quite a few. They were in like the side of our bathroom, they had all jumped out and they were everywhere. And we had to put a lid on. We had, so what we did is we floated a kind of, a little platform of wood Mm -hmm. in the water just so that they could like sit on land because they don't want to be in the water as much when um, they grow up. Whereas, and then then we put like a bit of cardboard just over the top. Yeah. Um, we did leave air holes so they couldn't find our bathtub. <laughs> I think you should both have your own natural history program. You see, <laughs> <laughs> just all these amazing adventures. And it's really cool because you can see them growing. And yeah. Then, yeah. This so year, like this, the last time we had them, we released them before they became froglets because we weren't didn't having the chaos of <laughs> them escaping everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Bath. Especially if you're in the bath and a frog jumps in. That <laughs> yeah. That would be quite and a shock. <laughs> also, down the test, they have cut some trees down in the water. Yeah. And then some. Why have they weeds done that? Are, so they have the. So the weeds grow on it, and then right. the trout can lay their eggs. So it's sheltered oh. from the yeah, flow. They, they can lay their eggs behind it. So there's the tree and some weeds grow, and then there's the eggs and the young trout yeah, it grow just underneath. So like it's much they, more protected and sheltered no, for Not them. as many predators will get to mm. them. So that's something we're doing. So that's quite cool. When you're when you've been out and about, mm-hmm. and you've, when you've seen all these fish, can I just ask you, have any of them ever spoken to you? Sadly, no. No. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> then we've never spoken to them. Well, that is yeah. a point. So, do you um, think we should do more chatting to fish? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, they might be desperate to have a little chat. Yeah. Um, but no, no, no fish have ever talked to us. But um, I think when, um, but any any river, even if it doesn't have ch- talking fish in it, is quite magical because like, it, it's all the sounds, like the peacefulness of it. But no, no fish have ever really talked to us. But then we, like Owen said, we haven't talked no, to them. I think you're right, though, Rosa. They are magical places, yeah. aren't they? I think if you sit on a, a river bank, it can be quite calming because you yeah. get the birds singing and the the tinkling noise of the river. Mm. There's a lot of bird life down the tip. There's yeah. more hens, swans. We sometimes find a heron. Most years, um, yeah, the occasional heron. Most years the swans have cygnets, um, uh, more hens, coot, um, mal- uh, loads of ducks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but then um, sometimes a good thing to do just to calm that is if you get like a picnic and it's... It, it could be like a fairly sunny day, as long as it's not freezing. Um, and you just go down to a river, yeah. put out a blanket, get your picnic, and it's just so calming. We yeah. did that once down in the Cleves, and um, we had a little paddle in the river. 
um, and it was so nice. Yeah. Oh, it sounds lovely. <laughs> so you two, I've, I have got a question I need to ask you. And that is, if... Okay, so we, we've established that you actually haven't spoken to a fish, but we've also established that that might be because... We've not spoken Exactly, to you've not bothered to speak to them, and it, that might be something we might kind of investigate going forward, seeing if we, if we chat to fish, whether they chat back, but, you know, <laughs> worth trying. But if a fish did offer you a wish... I remember you've only got one wish. I've been thinking about I've, this for I've ages. Got, I cannot think of it. I've got, I've got, well, normally, because I, I love nature and everything, yeah. I would normally just go straight ahead and say for all animals and plants to be respective, but respected. Um, respected but there's there are sometimes consequences, and that would be that, say you had like an ins invasive species or... Mm. Um, like pests, they would also be respect, respected and that wouldn't work out too well. Mm. But then I also thought, oh, for everyone to be happy. But again, that might have a consequence too because to be happy, you need to have experienced unhappy. And if everyone's always happy, then of course they won't have experienced unhappy. So there's yeah. no... Very there's wise not words. Really much that. And then what I, I decided is that yeah. every time people ask me that, if you could have a magic power, what would it be? I've always said shape-shifting. So I would probably, if I had a wish of my own, I would probably say shape-shifting or something like that. Oh, Rosa, that's really cool. That. That's amazing. So shape-shifting, what would be the first thing you might change yourself into um, if you had a choice? Yeah, it would be, be a horse. horse. I love horse riding. I would probably turn into a horse. Would you be a wild horse or would I you... I don't know. I would probably... I don't know. I would probably be like part wild, part not because... Um, I've always, I've always like ridden horses, and I've always thinking, oh, this is what it's like to ride, but it's not what it's like to actually be the horse. Or when we're like looking after a dog, you're like, um, you know how to look after a dog, but what does the dog feel like? Mm. I, I would want to be able to think um, like the animals. So experience of friendship. Mm. As an animal yeah. with a human and, um, feel, see, that see how like. they feel in life, because then you can change things to make. Because that kind of actually helps my first wish. Because I, um, I wouldn't want to just be able to shapeshift into animals. I would want to be able to shapeshift into a plant as well. It sounds a bit random, but it means that you can see what the animals or the plants need to help them grow. Right. So if there are certain species that aren't. I, um, that are endangered, you could always um, shapeshift into one of them and um, find out what yeah, and find out what they need to help them grow and yeah. things like that. Um, oh, that's such a brilliant! I also think it would be quite fun to shapeshift as well. Just yeah. like if somebody's, if you're playing tag, you could just turn into some, you could um, just turn into a bird and just fly off, and they'll be like, "That's not fair." <laughs> You'd be like, "Goodbye." <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant wish. Well, that was an, an unexpected wish. And Owen, you're you're not sure. You can't I make up your mind. Have no clue. Um, oh, so hard. It's hard. Well, Mary's wish was actually really clever, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. She incorporated all three wishes yeah. into one. Yeah. I, I like how she thought about that. Yeah, because she one. did that, didn't she? Because yeah. obviously her mother was blind and she wanted to help yeah. her, but then she also wanted to have a baby. But she then. Yeah, and the yeah. money wish is what everybody thinks of wishing mm. for, and you think, well, actually, that might make things, you know, 
better. I don't know, maybe. So, yeah, I thought she was really clever to put all of those wishes all in one. Well, on that note, shall we go back up to um, where the story was set and shall we go and see if... Um, we can see a magical fish yeah. and see if something like magic would happen to us. <laughs> let's try talking to yeah. Okay, let's go and yeah. see if we can find a fish probably, we can talk to. probably look a bit weird at first for those who haven't read the story. They'll be like, what are those people doing? What, yeah, what, what are they do? Why are they trying to talk to those fish? Are they crazy? <laughs> okay. All right, well, thank you, you two. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you this morning. I've really, really enjoyed our chat. And, um, yeah. Great. Yes, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's brilliant. Honestly, I think you should have your own little yeah. podcast <laughs> about nature and magic. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the tale and the facts behind it as much as I enjoyed discovering them and writing the story. Thank you for listening. Test Valley Tales is an Arts Council-funded project and part of Tess Valley Arts Foundation Borough of Culture Legacy Projects. You can find all sorts of project resources on my website at www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk forward slash Test Valley Tales. There is a downloadable map with postcodes to find all the story locations, links to walks and craft activities. You can also buy the Tess Valley Tales illustrated book of short stories there. Tess Valley Tales is on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as at Test Valley Tales. And this podcast can be found on Podbean at podbean.com forward slash Test Valley Tales. If you are interested in finding out about other types of storytelling I get up to, or you would like to book me for an event, you can email me at mgrstorytelling at gmail.com. I am on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as at mgrstorytelling and Merry Go Round Storytelling on YouTube. I also have another storytelling podcast which can be found at podbean.com forward slash funny tales and fairy tales and all this information can be found on my website which is www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk happy storytelling and i look forward to telling you another tale soon